Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. This episode is going to be all premolars, right? So tooth morphology, we finished up the anteriors and the canines and we've moved on to the premolars. And the premolars are really important. Why are they important? Well, one of the most significant reasons that you need to have a comprehensive understanding of tooth morphology as it relates to the premolars is because of that important dental charting and instrumentation that you're going to be performing. Uh, many of those patients that you see in the dental chair have a higher probability of some history of ortho or congenitally missing teeth, and these have a higher risk of being congenitally missing or removed for ortho procedures. It's important for you to have accurate dental records, and this is when your true test of comprehensive understanding of tooth morphology is going to come into play when you have a patient in the dental chair who's missing one or more of their premolars and you have to make those decisive decisions on, okay, which one is missing? And you're gonna be using the occlusal table anatomy in order to make that judgment call. So when you're looking at the tooth morphology of the crown, this is gonna really help you make that distinction as to which tooth is missing. When it comes to instrumentation, there's lots of root concavities and root morphology that you'll need to understand in order for you to do proper instrumentation techniques in the clinical setting. So we're going to be diving into all of those different things when it comes to the premolars. The premolars is where now you have an occlusal table and things will get a lot more comprehensive as far as tooth morphology goes. Before we get started on going over the tooth type traits for the premolars, I would suggest that you have reviewed the class traits of premolars episode first. Having that episode under your belt before you listen to this one will go a long way at helping you further identify the specific tooth type traits. That's just a suggestion. Now that we've reviewed the class traits of the premolars, let's talk about the specific tooth types. So starting with the permanent maxillary first premolar, the eruption date is 10 to 11 years with a root completion of 12 to 13 years of age. It is the succedaneous replacement for tooth B and I using the universal system in the primary dentition. The location of the proximal contact area, right, the height of contour, is just cervical to the junction of the occlusal and middle third, and this is the same for all premolars. The permanent maxillary first premolar has two cusps, a buccal cusp and a lingual cusp. When we're looking at the root anatomy, the maxillary first premolar most often is bifurcated in the apical third. It has about a seven millimeter root trunk and it has a buccal and a palatal root. The root trunk makes up about a half to two thirds of the length of the root. Now, what is a root trunk, right? So dental terminology, a root trunk is that portion of the root between the CEJ 
and the point of the furcation. And this is really important when you start getting involved with your periodontal patients to know all of your root trunk lengths. The buccal root is larger, but not necessarily longer than the lingual root. And about 20% of the time in your populations, you're gonna see a single straight root on the permanent maxillary first premolar. And this uh, appearance of that single root will be laminated or fused, which sometimes that happens. You'll end up with a bifurcated root, but it's joined by lamination. The roots are rounded and tapered to a sharp, a sharp apex, and the proximal root concavities are on the root trunk all the way up to the furcation area. The mesial root depression is deeper than the distal, and this is a really distinct feature for this particular tooth. That mesial root depression extends from the contact area all the way to the bifurcation. And why is this significant? This is significant because your instrumentation techniques are going to have to adapt into that area. And also your patients are gonna have a real challenge accessing this area to keep the biofilm disrupted enough. And this is a real problem area. You'll see crestal bone loss on your radiographs pretty frequently on this particular area just because of this feature. Looking at the pulp cavity, there are two pulp horns two pulp canals. Even if there's only one root, you'll still see two pulp canals on this. Looking at the buccal aspect of the permanent maxillary first premolar, the mesial and distal crown outline, it's convex right at the contact area, but then it gets straighter from the contact area to the CEJ. The buccal cusp is pointed and kind of mimics the canine a bit, there are imbrication lines and perichemata present, and there is a pronounced buccal ridge and developmental depressions, just like we see on the canine. So there are some of those features on the maxillary first premolar. This is an important distinction. The mesial cusp ridge of the buccal cusp is longer than the distal cusp ridge. This is the only tooth in the dentition with a longer mesial cusp ridge. The tip of the buccal cusp is often slightly distal to the long axis of the tooth because of that longer mesial cusp ridge. Looking at the lingual aspect of the permanent maxillary first premolar, the lingual surface is narrower and the lingual cusp is shorter than the buccal cusp and it's more rounded than the buccal cusp. Because of the cusp tip being offset, that mesial cusp ridge is shorter than the distal. Looking at the proximal aspect of the permanent maxillary first premolar, there's a mesial marginal groove present about 97% of the time, and that can extend to the middle third of the crown. The distal marginal groove is present about 39% of the time, and it's usually a little more shallow and the mesial surface has a pronounced concavity on the cervical third of the crown and usually extends onto the root. This is a big deal for this particular tooth, and this will come back at you again and again in the clinical setting when you're learning about ultrasonic and instrumentation and access to this particular area of this tooth. The cervical line curvature is slightly greater on the mesial, which follows form and function, and the crown is centered over the root access line. 
When you're looking at the occlusal table, the crown is asymmetrical. It has a hexagonal shape and the lingual cusp is more rounded and shorter than the buckle. Looking at that occlusal table, there's a central groove with a developmental groove and it has the most prominent groove is that central groove and it runs in that mesial distal direction across the occlusal table, separating the buccal developmental lobes from the lingual developmental lobe. And there are a few supplemental grooves that branch off that central groove. It makes the occlusal table appear smoother than when you compare it to the maxillary second premolar. The um, developmental groove that extends from the central groove over the marginal ridge, that mesial marginal groove, like I said, is present about 97% of the time. And that's usually a distinct feature for this particular tooth. And you may also see that distal marginal groove. So this will help you make the distinction that that's what you're looking at. Uh, when, you, when you have a patient who only has one premolar, you can look for that mesial marginal groove because more oftentimes than not, it will be there. There are triangular grooves on the occlusal table, which remember separates the marginal ridge from the triangular ridge. So you have a mesial buckle, a mesial lingual, a distal buckle, and a distal lingual triangular groove on the occlusal table of this tooth. Each triangular groove, remember, ends in a triangular fossa, right? You have a mesial triangular fossa and a distal triangular fossa. That's at the ends of that central groove. The developmental pits in the center of each triangular fossa. There's a mesial one and a distal one. As we move on to the permanent maxillary second premolar, I'll just remind you that life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. So we are moving on to the permanent maxillary second premolar type traits. So the eruption date is 10 to 12 years of age with a root completion of 12 to 14 years. It is the succedaneous replacement for tooth A and J, right? So the primary second molars. The location of the proximal contact area on the mesial and distal is just cervical to the junction of the occlusal and middle third. The permanent maxillary second premolar resembles the maxillary first premolar, but there are more crown variations. Usually it has one root and there's often a slight distal inclination right at the apex. The proximal concavities, there's a mesial depression, but it does not extend onto the crown like the maxillary first premolar. And there's a distal depression, which is usually a little deeper than on the mesial. There's one pulp canal and two pulp horns present on the permanent maxillary second premolar. When we're looking at the buccal aspect, it has similar features as the maxillary first premolar, except the buccal cusp is more rounded and not as long. So remember, as we get further back in the mouth, you're going to get less distinct features like that canine. So you'll have that buccal cusp is more rounded as you go. The mesial cusp ridge is shorter than the distal, right? So that's the opposite of the permanent maxillary first premolar. The cusp tip is offset mesially and there's a less prominent buccal ridge and therefore less prominent developmental depressions on the buccal aspect. When you're looking at the lingual aspect, it has similar features as the permanent maxillary first premolar, except 
the lingual cusp is closer to the same height as the buccal cusp. When we're looking at the proximal aspect, the permanent maxillary second premolar has similar features as the maxillary first premolar, except the cusp heights are nearly equal. There's no proximal concavities on the crown. The distal root concavities are deeper than the mesial and there's less likely to have marginal grooves. So remember I said that the maxillary um, first premolar, 20% of the time you're gonna have a single root. So it's important for you to know the distinctions, right? What those similar features are, but the distinctions between the two premolars so that if you do have a maxillary first premolar that is a single root, you'll still be able to know the difference between the first and second premolar. And so that big one is that the distal root concavity is deeper than the mesial, and there's no concavity on the crown, right? That maxillary first premolar has that conca root concavity that comes right up to underneath the contact, so that's a really distinct feature. When we're looking at the occlusal table, the crown shape is more symmetrical or rounded. The central groove is really short, and it's a lot shorter than on the permanent maxillary first premolar. And the mesial and distal pits, as a result of that central groove being shorter, they're a lot closer together. And there's a lot more supplemental grooves on this tooth compared to the maxillary first premolar. There is a mesial marginal groove about 37% of the time that shows up on the occlusal table of this tooth. And there are triangular grooves. There's triangular fossa that are close to, closer together because of that central groove being shorter. Okay guys, let's keep up the uh, good work. We're moving to the downstairs. We're moving to the permanent mandibular first premolar type traits. The mandibular first premolar eruption date is 10 to 12 years with a root completion of 12 to 13 years of age. They are the succedaneous replacements for using universal L and S. The location of the proximal contact areas, right? So it's the same for all the premolars, so you should know that by now. And it does resemble a mandibular canine more than it does a second premolar. You're gonna see that that lingual cusp, because of the lingual cusp, it really looks a lot more like a canine. When we're looking at the facial height of contour, right? So we're viewing the tooth from the proximal aspect. The facial height of contour is located in the cervical third. The lingual height of contour, looking at the proximal surface, is located in the middle third. When we're looking at the root anatomy, it is a single rooted tooth, and it's smaller and shorter than the mandibular second premolar. It's rarely bifurcated. There's Often proximal root concavities evident on the mandibular first premolar and it's usually deeper on the distal aspect. There are two pulp horns present in the pulp cavity and it has one single pulp canal. When we're looking at the buccal aspect of the permanent mandibular first premolar, the buccal cusp is long and sharper than the lingual cusp and it's the only functioning cusp on this particular tooth. So the occlusal table is not as functioning as you see on the rest of the premolars. The crown outline is fairly symmetrical, but the mesial outline is slightly concave from the contact to the CEJ, and the distal outline is rounder and shorter. 
The occlusal cervical dimensions is similar to the maxillary premolars, but it's shorter than the canines. There is a buccal ridge. It's more prominent than on the mandibular second premolar, but less prominent than on the maxillary. And there's no imbrication lines on the permanent mandibular first premolar. And I will note that the distal cusp ridge is longer than the mesial cusp ridge. When you're looking at the lingual aspect of the tooth, the lingual surface is narrower than the buccal and the lingual cusp is small and non-functioning. The distal cusp is longer, the distal cusp ridge, sorry, is longer than the mesial cusp ridge, and both cusp tips offset mesially. There is, okay, so here's the claim to fame for this tooth. There is a pronounced buccal triangular ridge that's very evident when you're looking specifically at this tooth. When we're looking at the lingual aspect, the landmark feature is that there is a mesial lingual developmental groove, which originates in the mesial pit and crosses onto the mesial surface at the mesial lingual line angle. And what this groove does is it separates the mesial cusp ridge of the lingual cusp and the mesial marginal ridge. When you're looking proximally, at the permanent mandibular first premolar, what you're going to notice is that there is a prominent lingual inclination. The buccal triangular ridge slopes vertically at a 45 degree angle to the occlusal surface. The mesial marginal ridge is nearly parallel to the buccal triangular ridge, and the distal marginal ridge has no developmental grooves and it's more horizontal to the buccal triangular ridge. So this helps you make the distinction between left and right. The cervical line curvature is greater on the mesial and the mesial lingual groove is visible from the mesial aspect. When you're looking at the occlusal table, the crown shape is diamond shape. Think about that. The lingual triangular ridge is shorter than the buccal triangle, triangular ridge because that lingual cusp is approximately half the height of the buccal cusp. The distal marginal ridge does not have a vertical slope. It's more horizontal to the occlusal surface, so this will help you see the difference between mesial and distal sides. Think about this though. The distal portion is larger than the mesial, and why do you think that is? The cusp tips and the transverse ridge offset mesially. The mesial lingual developmental groove is present on the occlusal aspect and the central groove is often indistinct because of that large buccal triangular groove. So this makes the transverse ridge very prominent. The mesial and distal fossa are circular in shape rather than triangular on this tooth. And what do you think you'll see in the fossa? You're going to see a pit in the deepest portion of the fossa. The last tooth to look at when we're referring to the premolar tooth morphology is the permanent mandibular second premolar. The eruption date is 11 to 12 years of age with a root completion of about 13 to 14 years. The tooth designation system universal is 20 and 29. When we're looking at the proximal contact areas, it's in the same location as all the other premolars.
There are two different types of permanent mandibular second premolars. There is a three cusp type, which is more common. The three cusp type has a buccal cusp, a mesiolingual cusp, and a distal lingual cusp. And this is the one that develops from five developmental lobes. It has three buccal lobes or facial lobes and two lingual lobes. And then there's a two cusp type, which is less common. It has a larger buccal cusp and a smaller lingual cusp. And that one develops from four developmental lobes. There'll be three facial or buccal lobes and one lingual lobe. When we're looking at the root anatomy of the mandibular second premolar, it has a single root and it's larger and longer than the mandibular first premolar when you compare them. It has a really blunt apex with a distal inclination. And there are proximal root concavities and they're more profound on the distal aspect. When you're looking at the pulp cavity, it has one pulp canal and two or three pulp horns, depending on if you're looking at the two cusp or three cusp type. Looking at the buccal aspect, the bus buccal cusp is shorter and more rounded. There's a buccal ridge and the developmental depressions are not really prominent. The distal cusp ridge is longer than the mesial cusp ridge. Looking at the lingual aspect of the permanent mandibular second premolar, the lingual cusp or cusps is better developed and longer than on the mandibular first premolar. And that makes the lingual surface wider mesiodistally and longer occlusal cervically than the mandibular first premolar. And this applies to both the two cusp type and the three cusp type. When you're looking at the three cusp type, the lingual aspect, the mesiolingual cusp is larger than the distolingual cusp, and there's a lingual groove that's present between those two lingual cusps. There's a developmental groove that separates those two lingual cusps, and that comes from the rise of the two lobes together. And this often extends right onto the lingual surface. The lingual groove is offset to the distal, because the mesial lingual cusp is larger than that distal lingual cusp. So that groove that separates the two is a little bit offset towards the distal as well. When we're looking at the two cusp type lingual aspect, it has a single lingual cusp. There's no lingual groove. And oftentimes you'll see a distal lingual developmental depression right at the distal lingual line angle. When you're looking at the proximal aspect of the permanent mandibular second premolar, there's a lingual inclination, and the buccal cusp tip is not centered over the root. It's located a little more buccal of center than what you see on the first premolar. When you're looking at the buccal cusp, it's more rounded than on the mandibular first premolar, and the lingual cusp or cusps are larger than on the mandibular first premolar. When you're looking at the proximal aspect, the mesial marginal ridge is more horizontal, which is more like the molars than what you see on the canine. The distal marginal ridge is more cervically located than the mesial. That makes, you know, makes sense. And the cervical line curvature is greater on the mesial than the distal, which follows the form and function rules. Let's take a look at the occlusal table. So when we look at the three cusp type, 
the most common on the occlusal table is 55% of the time you're going to see a three cusp type. And you're going to see different patterns on the occlusal table. So the three cusp type is named for the occlusal groove pattern. So there's a Y pattern, which has a central groove that extends from mesial to distal into the pit in a V shape. And the lingual groove extends lingually between those two lingual cusps. The occlusal outline of the three cusp type is more square and the lingual surface is a lot wider than on the other premolars. Remember that mesial lingual cusp is larger than the distal lingual cusp, but it still has a very square look to it on the Y pattern. There are three triangular ridges on the three cusp type on the occlusal table. There's a buccal triangular ridge, a mesial lingual triangular ridge, and a distal lingual triangular ridge. There's no transverse ridges on the three cusp type because those triangular ridges do not line up. It's the only premolar that does not have a transverse ridge. So as I said, this is the tooth that's kind of a little crazy. It has these all different outliers. There's no mesial lingual developmental groove and the mesial marginal groove is often present on the three cusp type. Uh, the mesial and distal have triangular fossa and the pits are right at the junction of the central and triangular grooves. The mesial pit is in the mesial triangular fossa and the distal pit is in the distal triangular fossa. And then there's a central fossa which has a central pit in the central fossa. And it's the only premolar to have a central fossa and a central pit. So now let's look at the H and the U patterns on the two cusp type of the occlusal table. The U pattern is formed by a crescent-shaped central groove. The H pattern is formed by a straight central groove. The occlusal outline is a little more rounded on the two cusp type occlusal table versus the three cusp type. And the lingual cusp is smaller than the buccal cusp, but it's larger than the lingual cusp of the mandibular first premolar. So there are two triangular ridges on the two cusp type, and that creates a transverse ridge. Because those triangular ridge, the buccal triangular ridge and the lingual triangular ridge line up to create the transverse ridge. There are mesial and distal fossa present, and it's circular in shape, which is same as with the um, mandibular first premolar. And there's pits found in those fossa. So you have a mesial pit and a distal pit found in those fossa. There's no central pit or fossa on the occlusal table of the two cusp type. And there is a distal lingual developmental depression that you'll see on these two. I'd like to share a small poem that I wrote about the mandibular second premolar. I am a special kind of premolar and I make my own rules. Once you learn all about me, you can't help but think I'm cool. It starts at the beginning. Sometimes I can be missing, like not even alive. But when I do show up, I can have four developmental lobes, but sometimes I can have five. Checking out my occlusal grooves can be a lot of fun. All the other premolars have only one choice, but I have three for you. I can be seen as a Y or even H or U. Eruption dates are pretty easy. 
and my types start at 10. But like I said, I'm kind of special, so I wait until the end. Those lower incisors are in a hurry and start at six or seven. But since I'm kind of a special tooth, I wait until 11. I am the best premolar of the types. Once you learn about them, you'll agree. All the others have two cusps, but I can present with three. If you are just learning about teeth, take another look at me. I am a special kind of premolar. Learn about me and you'll agree. Thanks for joining me today. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about the extraoral and intraoral examination. This episode will cover the science behind the exam, the techniques used to have an effective exam, and the documentation methods used in the extraoral and intraoral examination process. You won't want to miss it. I hope you join me. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying! I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.